There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Claire Sharrick is here. We are also joined by Ludmilla Marlover, who is our legal expert, and how nice it is to see you, uh, I have to say as well. Ludmilla, a very warm welcome to the studio. Did I catch you drinking water? Uh, no, no. <laughs> Not I was, at all. <laughs> she just took a pre-broadcasting slurp as you introduced her, which is always bad timing. <laughs> a pre-broadcasting slurp. Don't give away the behind-the-scenes stuff. We got asked about that yesterday, didn't we? Actually, yeah. What was, was that? Was that yesterday by a listener who said, is it allowed to eat? Oh, that was Thursday. Thursday, eat and drink before uh, you when you're on the radio and we said well it's not advisable because yeah. that can happen thank you very much for putting so, me on the so, spot well <laughs> salty stuff chocolate and coconut never have that so have you had a, a bounty bar today no no that's good <laughs> we should be okay for this let's start however by talking to ruby so lots of questions to get to today ruby should be online let me see five uh, while you're getting ruby four double zero one to get your questions in of course yeah uh, ruby always no time for of miller's questions uh ruby how are you Yes. Hi. I'm good. fine. Good afternoon. Good to have you on. Hi, Ludmilla. <laughs> Hello, Ruby. <laughs> um, you want to ask a question about, let me see, bank loans. But bank loans that are offshore, is that right? Yes. Um, I have a loan here in Dubai, right. but I just have this opportunity from one of my subsidiaries outside Dubai, outside UAE. So um, my personal loan is still um, ongoing. I still have two years to pay it off. Is it possible to, to pay it from outside the country? Uh, in short, uh, it, yes, uh, and but much of it needs to be, or you actually want to discuss this with the bank in advance just to make sure mm-hmm. that, because in the past it was a lot more difficult for uh, for uh, for debtors to continue to service their obligations if they were exiting the country. These days it's a lot, the banks, the banks are a lot more flexible and a lot, lot more understanding, and as long as mm-hmm. um, you continue to service your obligations, there is no reason for the bank to close your account. And uh, mm-hmm. But you do want to, uh, to let them know in advance because sometimes... Uh, once your visa expires or if they're notified yeah. that the visa has been cancelled, they will approach you. And, and often, at least in the past, they used to be a lot more concerned about it because they took it as an indication that of potential flight risk. But these yeah. days, that's no longer the case. And um, and we know plenty of people who have left the country. And as long as they continue to pay their loans, mm-hmm. um, the banks uh, have no issues. But you do want to notify them ahead of time so that they don't get concerned when uh, your visa is, a- is cancelled or when they find out that you've left. Um, uh, mm-hmm. One thing is that sometimes, depending on how your loan is structured, we have seen some loans that are secured, for example, uh, by um, uh, against your end-of-service benefits or end-of-service yeah. entitlements. And sometimes when that payment comes in, banks by default uh, use that payment to settle your obligation. Uh, mm-hmm. So that is one nuance there that if you're counting on, for example, that payment and not mm-hmm. planning to use that full payment towards the settlement of your current uh, loan, then you just want to make sure that you discuss it with the bank and figure out an arrangement so that all parties' uh, expectations are matched. How's that, yes, Ruby? That yes, that's so helpful. All right, good Thank to talk you, to you. Sir. Appreciate you calling, Ruby. Uh, it's an interesting question, that, because um, you need to talk to your bank. That may be okay, depending on how the loan is secured. 
But if the loan is secured, say, against your end-of-service benefits and your company then notifies the bank that you are leaving, leaving the employee of that company, what happens to the bank account then? Well, it, well, that's it. And sometimes it's actually often it's not about the company notifying the bank. It's rather that the company actually releasing that payment okay. of end-of-service to the bank and, and the bank. And usually that payment actually has a descriptive narrative that shows it's an end-of-service. And it's the bank that would take that as a, as a clue um, that this is the end-of-service. And if the loan is structured on the basis that uh, it will be it's secured by your employment or your salary, then they will use that. Uh, in most cases, they will use that end of service towards settlement of the of the loan. It'll almost happen automatically, right? Could Indeed. you? Is it legal or is it allowed to? You know, have a conversation with your company and say, "Do you mind giving me that part in cash or putting it into another account so that, that doesn't happen?" Is that allowed? Well, it depends on how you structure your the original loan with the bank and also your relationship with the company, and it's. It's a great question because we have seen this, uh, this come up on numerous occasions. And this is also, as a general practice, why for us as you know, as, as, as basic lawyers and also as, as an employer, for me as an employer, it's difficult to sign off on these kind of understandings between the employee and the bank. And we've, we've been approached um, uh, with a similar request because then you become a party instead of inadvertently become a party to that arrangement. And so you may have, as an employee, you may have a very different relationship with your employee and it may be, and legally you're not obligated to try transfer that payment to that particular bank um, unless you become a party to the contract. So therefore, when the company does sign off on it, yes, we will, we promise to send all the payments uh, to that particular bank account and then inadvertently you become a party to it. Now, can the bank actually enforce it against the company is a different issue, but you wouldn't as, a, as an employer, as a company, you wouldn't want to put yourself in you that situation. You want to get in that mess, yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, my advice is just to keep it sort of clean and, um, you know, the bank, it, it, it should really be between the employee and the bank um, as to how that particular uh, loan is serviced. And, and unless the company is acting as a guarantor, uh, which in most cases, in these sort of circumstances, it should not, uh, then it shouldn't really be brought into the fold. So you really should speak to your bank. You should, in all instances, go and say, look, this is what I'm doing. And then whatever happens, happens after that. Well, but that's it. Just it, be upfront. Uh, absolutely. And I will tell you again, from just we've seen the change in, in how the banks handle these situations. In the past, they used to be a lot more reactionary. And for a number of reasons, um, obviously, because there were, there were a lot of people that weren't all of a sudden not able to service their obligations. Uh, but these days, the banks no longer, by default, just cancel an account or close an account because somebody's residency, for example, expires or because they leave the country. So in most cases, they continue to keep the accounts open. Uh, and even if they have loans and other outstanding obligations, as long as the people, uh, the person is not in default, um, they the, you know, they carry on business as usual until they have to. To worry otherwise, and this is why, you know, because now there is no central bank uh, regulation. In other words, for banks, the forcing the banks to close accounts when people leave the country. So therefore, it's the banks in principle can continue on these relationships. But you want to make sure that um, that you give banks enough confidence uh, to assure them that you will continue to pay your loans, um, and therefore, just because you're not in the country, they don't need to worry. Is there an obligation, just finally, uh, briefly, that if uh, an employer uh, sorry, if an employee ends 
uh, their employment with a company that that company is then obligated to tell the bank if they're paid by salary transfer. There's no obligation there there's, because we hear that a lot. Right. There's no obligation unless the, the company puts itself in that position where it's obligated to do so. But in most cases, in, in sort of relevant terms, there is no such obligation unless the company actually becomes an official guarantor, which in employment relationships, they are not. Right. Okay. So there is no legal stipulation that when you leave a company, your company has to inform the bank that you're leaving their employee. No. That's just hearsay. Indeed. All right, then. That's good to know. Ludmilla Yamalova is here as well for Drive Live Talks Legal this afternoon. Questions, a reminder, you can get in touch with us for 001. If you have the Dubai Eye Messenger app on your phone, you can text for free, or you can call us 04423 Drive Live Talks Legal. As I said, Ludmilla is with us. Let's talk to Ali, who is on line two. Ali, afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Nice to talk to you. You wanted to ask Ludmilla a question about the new mortgage law. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, I wanted to know if the new mortgage law, is it in force? And um, if it is in force, where can I get a copy of the law? Uh, Ali, in short, the new mortgage law has not yet come into force. Um, the announcement has been made that it's it's been drafted, but it has not been published yet. And once it is, we'll certainly update listeners and uh, we'll uh, let you know where to get a copy and um, if, so if, if it's not already publicly available at that point. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Ali, good to talk to you. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, we've talked about the mortgage law a little bit over the last few weeks. I mean, there isn't very much to say because we haven't seen the law, but just give us an idea of what you know at the moment. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a law, it's a revised um, mortgage law just for Dubai um, that intends to, or uh, uh, whose obje- objective is it to de- uh, basically to introduce alternative sources of investment. Uh, and financing for the real estate sector because right now really the only uh, financing that is available is through the t- traditional or classical forms and that is being the bank and um, not through any other investment types funds or private equity and the idea is to introduce more flexible uh, financing arrangements so the burden is not all either on developers or the traditional um, sort of uh, banking uh, financing. Question in from uh, Lena for you, Ludmilla, 4001, if you want to send yours, of course, this afternoon. Uh, How do employers protect themselves from employees who use the probation period as a convenient and safe platform to search for better jobs? Well, to be honest with you, it's a, it's a, it's an easy and a difficult question to, question to answer at the same time. Uh, from the legal standpoint, um, there isn't really much you can do other than, for example, shorten your probation period. Um, so, by law, the probation period can be maximum to six months, uh, but it doesn't. But it's not a mandatory probation period. So you can um, you can have no probation period whatsoever, uh, or you can have maximum of six. But what's important to to note is that you cannot. Ex- extend probation. So for example, if you've agreed to a one month probation, and then after at the end of one month, you want to, uh, to continue to test that employee, and you, you cannot extend the probation period to let's say up to six months. So by law, if you wanted to, to test an employee, you, um, it's better to, um, to, to opt for the full six month probation period. But if you opt for a shorter one, you cannot, um, you cannot extend it because the law says you cannot probate anybody more than once. Uh, if you're worried that somehow somebody will miss use the, the, the period of probation, then you, you don't need to offer it whatsoever because there is no requirement to offer minimum probation. Um, that's sort of the legal standpoint. From the practical standpoint, as you're being an employer myself, 
I will tell you the best uh, advice I can give is just to um, to filter your candidates and your uh, incoming employees better. And I know it's easier said than done. Uh, but that really truly is the best and the only really way of um, of trying to minimize your exposure or your liability of, of having the wrong employees um, join the, the, the company. Uh, but otherwise, uh, departing employees, that's, that's always departing or wrong employees. That's always just the business risk. And um, there isn't much more you can do other than be prepared that some people will come and, and they, they will go and you will have to carry on. And in particular here, you'll have to carry on the expense of either relocating them if this is what the expense but, I mean, that's tough, to. isn't it, on a company? Potentially they've, you know, relocated somebody, paid for the visa process, all of those kind of things. Um, it does add up. And then they, they get here, they use it to get here and, th- and they immediately go. But there's nothing legally to protect a company or that says they need to repay those fees or anything like that. Well, there are two types of expenses. There is an expense that related uh, relates to the visa and um, and making an employee work here legally, that's an expense you cannot pass on to your employees. So any contracts that attempt to, uh, to to transfer that expense, and we see that happen quite often, um, they're actually not enforceable. But then there is also an expense that relates to, for, for example, relocation, as you mentioned. That, by law, is not required to offer to an employee. So as, as a company, if you want to structure that more as a loan, uh, then you will be able to recapture that back um, so shipping the furniture out or something like that right so you by law you're not required to do so unless you offer it to the uh, to the employee but if you want to be able to claw that back that you need to make sure that you structure it as a loan versus just as sort of as a benefit um, that comes along with the other uh, the, the visa expenses for example because those expenses you cannot recoup but anything related to relocation if it's structured properly you could is it a complaint you hear a lot from employers, Ludmilla? Uh, less so now. In the past, yes, when finding talent and um, and just I guess just your manpower was a challenge because it's just the, the the economy was growing so so fast and we just didn't have enough people on the ground. That certainly was a complaint that um, the companies um, were uh, were lodging a lot more often these days. Just there's a lot a lot more t- talent available locally. And um, that companies no longer hire as much from the outside as they used to. Um, just there's a lot more people that want to be in Dubai, a lot more people that already are in Dubai, and a lot more people that are in Dubai with experience. Uh, and they're actually happy to accept um, offers that are that are more compatible or co- and competitive um, than they used to be in the past because um, bringing an employee from abroad, just, just generally speaking, costs more money. Uh, and then if you factor in training costs and just... Uh, sort of any kind of cultural um, uh, costs is just, you know, employers these days find that there is, um, you know, there's less of a reason to look elsewhere uh, because there's just a lot more talent available locally. I worked for a small company, a magazine, for a long time. And around about 2006, 2007, it happened to us twice people accepting jobs and it was just a way of coming to you know Dubai as you said growing at that time uh, and everybody looking and thinking oh I want a part of that Uh, and that happened to us twice we were a company maximum I suppose 20 odd people it's not a very winning percentage it's but it is a very real cost of doing business isn't it indeed and that's just something that you need to factor in as as a business all right then it's a good one here tim um from tanya um hello everyone she says i'm a doctor working in the same place for the last eight years and i've just extended my contract if i had to leave my job 
urgently without staying and giving my six months notice as as per my contract will I lose all right to my end of service benefits or only the new contract period uh, well, after eight years, it doesn't well, actually. It depends on how the contract is drafted. So it's it's interesting because if you have a limited contract, let's say it's a three year contract, and then you terminate that contract, uh, you resign uh, sort of early, um, then let's say two years into it, then yes, you lose your end of service, and that's because you have a limited contract. Now, if you are now on the same um, on the same contract, the three years, but now you're into your second period of the three year contract. Uh, and if there is a language in the contract, in most cases, that is the case that in the event the parties, the contract renews automatically, it renews on the same terms, including the term of the contract. In other words, let's say now the, the, you continue on working for the company uh, and then uh, so the, and the contract renews for another three uh, year period. Uh, then the second contract is still limited. So now what if you you terminate on year five? Uh, then, believe it or not, you that's considered to be that you terminate the contract still prematurely, a limited contract prematurely, and you are walking away from end of service. So now with, uh, with the listener's question, now it's at year eight. If it's once again on the sort of, let's say it will be a third term contract. And um, if that third term contract is still considered to be as a limited contract, then you might be able, you might lose your end of service as well in that context because it, the courts are treating it as you terminating your limited mm. contract prematurely. And also, if she's not giving her notice, her right amount of notice, it would be sufficient potentially bad feeling between her and her employer that they might enforce that. Well, indeed. And also, if you have an eight, uh, a six-month notice and you you don't want to serve the notice that the employer has the right to subtract or offset um, that um, the, the sort of the value of that notice from whatever payments they may have to pay you. But if they don't have to pay you anything, then you will have to pay. You have to be prepared to pay that back to your employer. Questions to Ludmilla Malaba for zero zero one via the free app or zero four forty three ten ten. Drive live, talks legal. That's what we're doing? We've got questions to get to. One thing I wanted to bring up today, Ludmilla, is just reaction to the recent news of Dubai courts uh, merging. The idea is is to obviously shorten the legal procedure, make it a little bit easier for people and easier, uh, you know, easier in terms of uh, strain on the courts. But from an average of, I think it was, the, the figures quoted were 305 days down to something like 30. Um, how easy that will be remains to be seen. But any updates? On well, I mean, number one, this is not, it's just an announcement of something yes. that the authorities are looking to do. Uh, it has not come into effect. This is really important to understand because there is the highlight is very promising and very encouraging uh, of shortening the process, the court process from 300 days to 30 days, but it's not in effect. Uh, now, once, uh, once if, if there is truly an initiative to try to shorten the time, it, it um, it's possible, but not not likely that it will happen, it will be shortened from 300 to 30 days, just because in practical terms, in logical terms, and in, in legal terms, it's just not possible. Mm. Uh, because 30 days is just not enough period of time, and it, I'm not aware of any other country in this world or any other jurisdiction where you're able to shorten a court process to that uh, that period of time unless it's a it's a very sort of specialized in the kind of a, a, a you know a simple case uh, but uh, but there is certainly discussion about uh, using technology to Im- to 
to try to shorten the time for the the court proceedings. Uh, I will tell you from our experience what will um, what will help uh, litigants in this case is that, for example, if if the courts here uh, once the court fi- figure out a way, a more efficient way of serving parties. Now, a service of process is something that may seem very nuanced and very administrative, but this is really where a lot of time is um, often lost is uh, for the authorities to be able to find the party to be served. And then the party, until the party has been served, i.e. notified that the legal proceedings have been initiated against them, the court process cannot really start uh, properly. So then if, so a lot of a lot of time is spent where the court bailiff, for example, is trying to find where the other party is, and then the court will continue to give extensions to uh, the parties to make sure that to, the, the, the party actually gets served physically. And after a few hearings, after a few extensions, now the process is that then the court will finally give the authority to uh, to publish in the newspaper, to serve party by publication in the newspaper, which, generally speaking, if the party can later come back and say, well, actually, you know, the party, the other party always knew my address, and it's just it didn't notify the court all, uh, properly, then um, those proceedings can be canceled, the court proceedings can be canceled, and the parties will have to reinitiate the case all over again. So therefore, courts are being very conservative in allowing parties to serve uh, defendants by uh, by publication. And so this is really, because of that, the courts are continuing to give extensions and, and trying to make sure that the parties are served actually in personal capacity versus by publication. And because of that, a lot of time is lost just for being able to start the proceedings. Mm. And so I think this is wh- where, the, and, and there has been some discussion. In fact, there was even a suggestion um, in some one of the uh, news um, articles recently about government introducing an official email address. And I will tell you, if all of us are, like we have an Emirates ID right now, if we all have an official email address, that will facilitate things so much. Because then all these, so the service process, for example, could be done by this official email address. And so if if we embrace technology from that perspective, and there has been discussion about that, that would truly help push things along and expedite the, the court proceedings. But with regards to um, having all three uh, court stages uh, sort of proceed at the same time in legal terms it's not really possible because before the, the appeal courts decides on how the court of first instance uh, uh, addresses the issue that the court of first instance has to first hear the issue finalize the issue and only then uh, can pass it on to the appeal um, so we're not quite sure how this new technology is is going to, um, to, to to work once it's implemented but for now we'll just watch that space and continue to update listeners as any relevant uh, developments come forward. Okay, so if we had an official email address, you couldn't use the excuse, it went to my junk. Mm-hmm. No, and I would love for all of us to have it, honestly, because we see in practical terms so much time and resource, so many resources are being wasted just because parties, especially here in the UAE, where, where so many of us are non either non-residents or it's a very fairly transient place, and uh, you know, we're all a majority of us are expats, so we have multiple multiple residences, and often we move around, and so if there is a way to keep track of us by um, having this official email address, I think that. That would make all of our lives much easier. Okay, that's one way. Kunal is on the phone. Hi, Kunal. Hi, hi. Good evening, guys. Good to have you on. Sorry to keep uh, you waiting there. Uh, yeah, so you have a question yeah. about what? Resignations? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, the question real quick was, uh, to say someone is, uh, you know, uh, hired in an onshore, uh, you know, a, a company, which is not a free zone, let's say, and uh, they have a two-year uh, contract, 
Okay. Uh, now, if uh, let's say I get a better offer in a free zone company, so whenever I, uh, if I want to transfer my, uh, let's say I resign, okay, and then I go to a free zone company, is there uh, a necessary or a necessity, sorry, of my current company to give me some kind of an NOC, or can I just move on to the other company? Uh, good question, Kunal. No, there is okay. no, there is no requirement for. Uh, for the free zone company to give you an NOC, uh, one and two, there's not even any regulatory issue that you will you will encounter because any automatic, for example, labor uh, ban that might exist oh. for an onshore company like an LLC would not oh. apply in the free zone because that automatic ban is issued by the Ministry of Labor, and the Ministry of Labor only um, has authority over non-free zone companies. So in free zone, it's Got a separate it. authority, so therefore no bans transfer from the onshore to uh, to a free zone company. Okay. Oh, okay, then. Kunal, well, thank you. <laughs> nice to thank talk you. to you. Appreciate you coming on. That's Kunal. Uh, let's look at some of the texts we've got. In lots yeah, we've got through. quite a few. We'll whiz through as many as we can. Pratesh says his wife works for a leading education provider. She's recently been asked, Ludmilla, to sign a renewal letter which states if she decides to leave during the next academic year, she will be liable to pay back costs of up to 6,000 dirhams to cover the cost of rehiring her position. Is this legal? Should she sign the document? Uh, no, it's not legal. I guess what I'd like to understand is what's the what's the cost of uh, rehiring for her mm. position? I mean, is it sort of recruitment costs? I mean, what, what are the costs? But I guess so. I guess that's what they're saying. Yeah, yeah but no, these kind of costs cannot be... Uh, it's, it's The recruitment costs are responsibility of the company and not the employee, and therefore those costs, legally speaking, cannot be passed on to the employee. They say if she doesn't sign, they will look for her replacement. So and, and, that's the, and that's the practical... Anyway. Yes. Well, but the thing is, that's the practical um, implication. However, if she does sign... Uh, ultimately the company will not be able to enforce it so sign and don't worry about it if yeah okay indeed um another one here different different subjects um ahmed says my friend went on leave uh, and told me that his company made him return his insurance card for the period that he was on leave is this allowed under law we've never heard anything like this so no it's it's it does not make sense doesn't make any sense at all does <laughs> no. it because you're insured for that, that sure so, so anyway. therefore legally speaking they cannot force you to do it in fact it would be sort of uh, illegal for them to require you for you to to give you uh, to give them your insurance card so just don't don't do it time for one more yeah uh, there's so. two people asking the same kind of question really um, they get a monthly commission on top of their salary would an average commission be included in my basic for gratuity calculation yes it will be uh, okay, thank you. Uh, Ratish says, what happens if a position is made uh, redundant? Will an employee get compensation? It's uh, a very open question, but... Yeah, well, so I think what he's referring to, if redundancy somehow um, is serves as um, an excuse for a company to, for example, uh, pay arbitrary dismissal. Uh, in other words, is redundancy a valid reason for termination? And in general terms, no, because um, a valid reason has to be attributable to the employee and not the company. Redundancy is, is a factor that's driven by the company, not the employee. Employee. Okay, that's all we've got time for today. We do have other questions to get <laughs> As to. As always, they pour in in the last five minutes. It never changes, does it? But if we didn't get your question to Ludmilla today, we will put it to you, Ludmilla, next week. But if you do have a question and you're listening now thinking, there's no time now, do it next week. Ludmilla's here Monday afternoon from 4.20, Drive Live Talks Legal. As ever, Ludmilla, nice to see you. Good to be here. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.